Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. There are 112 days until the 2022 midterms. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Mary Trump Show Strategy Sessions, where every week my panel and I try to answer this question. How do we ensure that the Democrats and pro-democracy candidates win races at every level of government and hold on to or preferably increase our uh, razor-thin margins in the House and Senate? And today I want to start here with a recent Fox News poll, uh, according to which 81% of Americans favor term limits in Congress, 66% favor 18-year mandatory, sorry, term limits for uh, Supreme Court justices, 71% favor mandatory SCOTUS retirement age, 46 favor expanding SCOTUS, and I bet that number would be bigger if people actually understood what that meant, 55% favor replacing electoral college for presidential elections with the popular vote. We already know that over 70% of Americans support gun safety legislation, marriage equality, abortion rights, government funding for childcare, paid maternity leave, raising the minimum wage, and on and on and on. All of these things are things that elected de Democrats and only Democrats support. So how is it possible, I know many of us ask ourselves, that the Democrats are actually in danger of losing the House and possibly the Senate in the 2022 midterms? What is more important than these issues? Uh, what are people actually voting for? So today I want to uh, talk to you guys and welcome Brian, Julie, Jen, Kurt. Um, help people... First of all, uh, understand the systemic challenges uh, that the Democrats face. And also um, help them understand how even though it feels different, like it feels like this is sort of a national uh, emergency and this, this upcoming election is sort of a referendum on American democracy, these are all local and state level races. So uh, national polling doesn't necessarily give us an accurate picture of where we are. Uh, so Jen, um, I want to start with you, law professor and author of Big Dirty Money. Uh, what, what do you, th where's a good place to start with this conversation, do you think? You know, I, I think it's all about, the question you're asking is why is there a gap? You know, you're looking at these polls and you're looking at the values people, when they're actually asked, have, right? Whether it's you're saying over 70 percent support gun safety legislation and marriage equality and abortion rights and raising the minimum wage, right? Just think about gun safety, marriage equality, abortion rights. We've got vast support in this country for that. So the question is, why are people either polling for, or supporting people who don't hold out those views? And to me, that gap is largely about 
this thing about human nature that sometimes us nerds and wonks forget about, but people look at people. So here's the gap. We're saying here's the values when you ask somebody, but when they don't choose a candidate who espouses those values, because it's the difference between ideas and humans. We're very persuadable by this person in front of us. And so we need the candidate who we, you know, who, who supports these ideas to repeat these ideas, to get these ideas out there, because very often people don't have time to follow, to make these linkages, you know, and it's embarrassing. You know, I, I'm a teacher and I know students and I'm dealing with graduate level students who've chosen to study, but most people, and I'll put myself in this too. If I don't know something, it's embarrassing to me, but I have the time and the background to do the research. Someone else, it feels embarrassing if you don't know what these candidates are for and someone else tells you some random thing about the candidate or some lie or this person, you know, if you have a gap in the information you have, again, it's about the gap. You go for the person. So it's up to the, our candidates on the Democratic side to embody and repeat what they support and say, I'm with the vast majority of Americans. Here's what we all support. So vote for me because I support the ideas you support. Like the, the candidates have to be the human embodiments of these ideas and they end up getting caught up in this whirlwind of other stuff that the other side throws at them. So my idea is closing the gap can only be done on the human level um, and repetitively in the messaging by the people. Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's a really good point. Um, but Kurt, I'm also left with this question and I think I said it at the top, what are people voting for, right? And and why at this point does the Republican Party still get away with, um, sorry, I just read something Waj said and it's making me laugh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've been so, joined by Batman. I mean, come yes, on. Drag, uh, baby. <laughs> you know, just so everybody watching understands what's happening, I I got my DC comic chocolate and my mass Marvel comic universe peanut butter or something, and I offended Waj deeply when I sent out the bat signal to the Nerd Avengers. I got dragged on Twitter. Uh, some people defended me. Some people wanted my head. So thanks, Waj. America anyway. is a America is a divided nation. <laughs> and I think that's that's absolutely indicative decent, of how divided we are. Anyway, so Kurt, um, as somebody who who kind of understands the Republican Party better than most people, they still seem to get away with um, presenting themselves in a way that's utterly false at this point, right? I mean, this is a party of extremists and uh, fascists. Yeah, uh, you know. Republicans have this advantage that if you act badly and that's your brand, you're expected to, people don't care. People, oh, they're just, that's who they are. It's fine. It's expected. Uh, the media is so egregiously a part of creating that construct. Um, and, and I encourage everybody who's watching the Perry Bacon for the Washington Post wrote a terrific piece in the last 24 hours or so that's up online now. Uh, kind of about the media's role in, in, in creating this environment and the, the curve that Republicans get graded on really and how it benefits them compared to how Democrats, President Biden, are, are uh, evaluated by the press. Um, you know, all that to say, you know, fundamentally, 
very, very basic stuff. To get someone to vote for you, they have to first like you. Um, Democrats are really bad at this, okay? Uh, I say this as a former Republican <laughs> who came, who's now a Democrat, a Democrat, sorry, as I can tell you, the biggest knock against Democrats overall is the sentiment that they are self-righteous. They are morally superior. They are judging you. We are. Um, <laughs> I mean, at this point, it's not saying much. It's a fair point. Um, but if you don't say the right thing the right way at the right time, uh, that you are somehow the worst person that's ever existed. A lot of Wait, Kurt, people... can I can I just interject for one second because I just want to yeah. I want to be clear. I think that is the, that is the the general consensus. But we're also why does that how does that operate at the individual level though? Is it just that de any well, democratic you, candidate comes in automatically stained? A little bit, and this is the branding part of the Democratic Party. You know, I spend a lot of my time in the world of country music. Um, you know, I go to concerts all over this country, and you know, yeah, my just, condolences. You know, hey, I love it, man. I, you know, it's my believe it or not, it's my happy place. But the <laughs> one thing that I hear more often than not from from that world and the people who go to these shows um, is the feeling that they're afraid, really, that Democrats are out to cancel them. Uh, and, and that very personal feeling supersedes to them what they feel about other broader issues. Um, you know, if you feel like one political party is out to constantly demonize you and is out to, again, judge you, you're probably not going to listen to them and vote for them. Um, Democrats have got to be better about giving Republicans permission to come with them. And by when, and when I say Republicans, I don't mean Trump Republicans. I don't mean the MAGA Republicans. I mean mm -hmm. the, 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 you know, 10 to 25% of Republic who are Republicans right now who still call themselves Republican, but don't really like what's going on with their party. And, you know, we have to give them permission to come with us. And the one thing I hate that I see all the time is when someone actually says, you know what, I've had enough. I'm with you guys. And then I see on Twitter, people go, well, what took you so long? We need these people with us to win. That's all that I care about right now. I don't care if it took you one year, 10 years, whatever. Whatever the breaking point was for you, welcome them. Embrace yeah. them. We need more of them. Because I can tell you, as someone who made that change from, a Democrat, from Republican to Democrat, when I and this was before it was trendy, folks. This was in early 2016. Donald wasn't even the nominee yet. Okay, right. there was no welcome wagon for me. I was on my own, and I got that. Well, how you know, how could you not have seen this coming? You helped create this. You're a terrible person. Like, as a my first instinct when someone talks to me that way is, oh well, fuck you then. I'm gonna stay with these guys. Why the hell would I help you <laughs> right. guys? Like, give me a break. We got to get away from that. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's <clears throat> one of the problems that we have on left. I mean, I assume that most Democrats don't perceive themselves as being elitist or morally superior. The elitist label, by the way, is just infuriating considering, you know, Foghorn Leghorn, John Kennedy, uh, went to like, Harvard, Yale, and Oxford or something. Um, you know, they all went to Ivy League schools. Um, and even though uh, 
I, I agree with you, Kurt, that um, the Republican voter definitely feels that and, and because they've been told that partially um, and they worry about, you know, what the Democrats are going to do to them. Um, it's still very difficult to grapple with that because the reality is so different, right? I, Julie uh, Zebrak, who is a veteran DC attorney, seasoned political consultant and first time guests on uh, the strategy session. Say, Julie, um, you know, I think for a lot of us, the, the frustration is that it's really the Republican Party. You know, they're just so much better at co-opting language. And, uh, you know, because they are not bound by, and I'm talking about elected Republicans, not Republican voters. Um, you know, they're not bound by any sense of shame or decency or fair play. You know, I, I say they, they don't, um, the, the Democrats are playing by rules that don't exist anymore because the Republicans blew up the rule book. So I, it, it's, it's, it's like our, our one hand is tied behind our back because of structural issues, which we'll get to, but the other one is tied behind our back because of this really, uh, very difficult to um, process disadvantage when it comes to the rhetoric and the way things are presented. Right. So I wanted to, um, hi, thanks for having me, Mary, and um, good to be with everybody. Um, you know, one of the things I wanted to address a couple of things. One is the point, Kurt, that you made about, um, you know, sort of the, how folks don't want to be canceled and that, that the elitist, sort of, you know, feeling of Democrats are looking down. And I think, I mean, I have a lot of um, moderate white guys in my life who, you know, would have been Democrat, you know, would have been Republicans pre-Trump, um, you know, since vote Democrat. And I mean, those are, those are topics they talk about frequently, um, the sort of snottiness of Democrats, the self-righteousness and that type of thing. I would say, however, on the canceling part and why and your and your point about like in the country music world people fearing that they're about to be canceled and that's why they don't like the party at all i mean i will say in this moment in particular this summer um you know a lot of women are feeling that way about the republican party um and feeling like this there's this you know war on women that many of us many of us have been hollering about for a few years um and that has you know continues to come to fruition and so I mean, I think it's a real, I think, you know, it'd be a Herculean effort to get me to vote for a Republican, given how I feel as a woman. And so I do understand that point in terms of feeling like you're under attack by a whole political party and they don't support you. I get why that's, that's a, um, it takes a, a level of self-reflection and, and sophistication to be able to move past that, I think. And it's, it's tough for anybody when you feel like you're under attack. Um, I wanted to share with you guys an anecdote about, you know, messaging and communication that um, I think is pretty funny. I, so I'm, I live in Maryland. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. So some of the moderate guys that um, I hear from, particularly when they're really upset, um, are, are from Atlanta. And just after um, the Dobbs decision came down, a couple of my guy friends reached out to me <laughs> And, and in these, these two guys have only daughters. 
So, you know, they have a bunch of teenage daughters and wives in their homes freaking out about Dobbs. And so they reach out and they say, I swear to God, how come the Democrats were not sounding the alarm about Roe being overturned? Which, of course, makes me want to lose my mind. And so (laughs) you mean the part where Hillary was talking about this in 2016? And again, these guys did vote for Hillary. So I want to be clear. They were not, I mean, they were not Trump voters. Mm -hmm. And so one of the guys says to me, she should have been clear. Roe was not clear enough. She should have said they're coming for our vaginas. And I'm like, really? Okay, first of could all, you that's imagine gonna, if she had said can you that? imagine that's really going to make people <laughs> for Hillary who are on the fence? But also, the, the fact yeah. that these guys were anti-Trump in 2016 are, are not idiots. They're not idiots. Yeah. But it wasn't clear to them or, frankly, their families what was going on. And I know everybody's going to go, yes, they are idiots, whatever. But the point is, we don't all think about politics all the time. These are these are folks who, you know, were anti-Trump, were voting for Hillary, but didn't, the conversations in their neighborhood barbecues were not about women are going to lose, you know, the ability to make choices about their bodies. And so coming back to this idea about communication, you know, I really think part of it is where we're all listening. And as as this group knows, and as, of course, your listeners are, are going to be, you know, on the same page as all of us in terms of where we're reading our news and where we're listening to our news, um, I just think that when these conversations are only happening on one side of the aisle and in one part of, you know, and half the country or, or whatever, it's, these are we're, we're not going to be able to move ourselves forward if we're not able to make that inroad. And I'm, I certainly don't have it. I'm certainly not original in that point and I don't have a solution, but I do think that this messaging question of how Democrats present themselves isn't getting through. Um, and, and folks are, if you're not, if you're not presented with that candidate in front of your face saying the thing you want to hear, you may not, they, you may not be moved to move. To, to vote. It's 95 degrees here in New York, and even though I have air conditioning, even if I crank the AC up at night, I still get overheated when I sleep if it's that hot outside. According to science, the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep, though, is by lowering core body temperature. Temperature-controlled sleep repairs muscle after a hard day's work and improves cognitive function so you always start your day feeling sharp and alert. Luckily, Chili Sleep makes customizable, climate-controlled sleep solutions that help you improve your entire well-being with their Uller and Cube sleep systems. Hydro-powered, temperature-controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress to provide your ideal sleep temperature. These luxury mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep sleep, whether you sleep hot or cold. These sleep systems are designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. Imagine waking up and not feeling tired. Chili Sleep can make that happen. And for an extra layer of comfort, they also make the Chili Blanket, which is the only weighted blanket that can also be paired with a control unit for the ultimate sweat-free sleep. 
Head over to chillysleep.com slash Mary to learn more and save 30% off the purchase of any new Cube or Uller sleep system. This offer is available exclusively for listeners of The Mary Trump Show and only for a limited time. That's chili, C-H-I-L-I, sleep.com slash Mary to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up refreshed every day or look for the link in our show notes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all absolutely on target. And <clears throat> Waj, you and I, well, all of us here um, have, and uh, Danielle Moody, your co-host, uh, who was guest last week and hopefully will come back again, have spoken about um, what the Democrats need to do better or what they're doing wrong. But that's not what we're talking about today. Um, because again, it's all constructive criticism. It's meant to um, help the Democrats with their messaging and to, to help understand people understand why maybe certain things aren't happening as quickly as we want. Or, But today, let's. I, I, I want to stay focused on um, what, what we're up against. I guess, basically. And, uh, you know, Julie just pointed to some of it. it. A lot of it is that people aren't able to pay attention. They don't have the luxury or disadvantage of being plugged in all the time. Um, and I think part of it, too, is that whether it's that or because, you know, our, our system of education is so terrible uh, for a lot of people, um, and needs to be better. You know, we don't teach civics. We don't teach critical thinking. We don't teach uh, media literacy. Um, that's banned now. We're not allowed to do that. Me, uh, well, that's right. It's right. Yeah. It's it's all being banned. Um, banned. So, you know, I think that I just totally lost my train of thought. But um, <laughs> the disadvantages. Yeah. Yes. Where I was going with it is that. A lot of people also probably, even if they had even a little bit more information, for them it's unthinkable. Uh, you know, it's unthinkable that women who have miscarried can't get an abortion and have to suffer for weeks, bleeding out in some cases, or that ectopic pregnancies, if they're terminated, that's no like homicide. I don't know, 10 year olds have to cross state lines and then their doctor, and by the way, a pregnant 10 year old is, is by default a rape victim. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, then the doctor gets, um, gets harassed and potentially uh, charged with something. And then the other thing, Waj, and I think this is also a huge problem that we're facing. How many Americans do you think believe that, uh, the end of American democracy is even a tiny possibility. Very right? few. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's one of those situations where people don't realize the comet's coming and the, the comet right. is like right above you. You can see it. Don't and look up. Yeah. Don't look up. And also there is this feeling that the institutions will protect us, that somehow if we're going to go with the metaphor of the superheroes, we'll just outsource it to the Avengers, they'll save the day and we can work two jobs just to stay broke and you know watch our Netflix queue and eat our cheese puffs. And the reason there's this faith in democracy is because we haven't had to fight for it. We've taken it for granted. We assume that the systems will hold up to protect us even though as the system right now has been corrupted by termites 
that's Republicans who are eating it from the inside out to establish Christian fascism. Right? And I'm being very nice by calling them termites because termites actually take their time. Uh, and they serve a purpose. I don't know what serve, it is. Yeah, they're useful sure in the ecosystem. Like this is just yeah. like a plague that comes in. And I think to connect the dots of what many people are saying and, and, and to, to understand why, even though as Jen started off saying, you know, like on guns, uh, on women's rights, uh, on climate change, right, uh, on banning books, the, the numbers are stunning. You have 70 plus percent, the majority of Americans saying, yeah, we're against this, even though this is the platform of now the Republican Party. And Kurt mentioned this is because there is a double standard when it comes to conservatives and the GOP. And I would say there's a double standard also when it comes to white supremacy, the feeling of victimhood. All of us have to bend a knee to the economic anxiety of the Republican Party, even though time and again, the, 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 the data shows that it's not economic anxiety, it's cultural anxiety. You know, all of us have to bend the knee to the bad faith grievances of that one Republican. Then you put him on the panel. He dominates or she dominates the panel. Right. Every single institution in America, if you've noticed, especially media institutions, bend the knee to bad faith victimhood and propaganda by the right wing for the sake of both sides narrative 50 50. And within the media landscape, I can tell you, we've talked about this before. Is that Democrats are at a disadvantage? I'll give you a quick example. CBS rewards the bad faith actions of Mick Mulvaney by giving him a contract to spew disinformation. Chris Christie, who helped create Donald Trump, now has a contract at ABC News, right? The equivalent, there's no left or liberal equivalent of that. Like, who is the most extreme version? Uh, of a Kellyanne Conway or a Mick Mulvaney. Like, who's your raging atheist, socialist, vegan, liberal on CNN or MSNBC? It doesn't exist. exist. Yeah, it doesn't exist. And so when people see both sides right now, and I can tell you for the average Jose and Joe, they're like, both sides are messed up and, and we voted for the Democrats and how come things aren't getting done? And I think Julie was talking about that most people don't have that in-depth knowledge of how civics works. 50-50 Senate, it's tied. There's so much that Biden could do. All they see is, I voted for Biden and gas prices are high. So this is where it comes back to, if I may, stories. And there's a great quote from a Jewish American poet from the uh, 20th century, Mueller Kaiser. She said, the universe is made of stories, not of atoms. I'll repeat that. The universe is made of stories, not of atoms. This is where Republicans are very cynical and smart. They don't, they don't give a shit about policy. They never release a 600 page policy report. They don't give a shit. What they, they're interested in is messaging, disinformation, emotions, and the individual. A story needs characters. It needs a hero. It needs a villain. There's a conflict. The hero has to vanquish the villain, right? And the story produces an emotion. This is where Democrats suck. And when Gavin Newsom, just a couple of days ago, when he said that we're losing the narrative, he was actually right on point. They lost it. They never yeah, they, what's the Democratic message right now? I mean, I'm not trying to critique, but what's the message? Can you put it on a, a, a hat? Uh, what's the feeling they're trying to invoke? Do you see Democrats even embracing the term progressive and liberal? I've never seen a Republican never reject the term conservative. What's the definition of progressive and liberal, right? And let me give you an example of how it worked. Obama. Obama came out, said, look at me. I'm the person, the character that you, I want you to believe in, as Jen was saying. Here's my story. It's a hopeful story of a multicultural America. I have to engage in the culture war because I'm a black man, so I can't escape it. But let me now put a narrative around the culture war that I'm going to create a multicultural community. Here's a statement you're going to laugh at, but it's going to work. Ready? Hope, 
change. Laugh at it. Everyone remembers it, right? Yeah. Everyone laughed at Donald Trump. Make America great again. You could put it on a hat. You put it on your head. Everyone knows it, right? He did so, and made millions. And he made millions. And so right now million. for Democrats, they need to be proactive and really create a narrative and a message. And this is where, if I could say the final thing, is you see a, another good example for de Democrats to follow, Fetterman. Fetterman, this dude literally almost died. He's literally almost dying in the hospital, and he trumps Connor Lamb. Connor Lamb was the establishment Democrat candidate who like, looks like he was created in a weird science <laughs> lab, like like Pelosi <laughs> and Schumer, like, can we create a moderate white man? And then like, on weird science computer, an exquisite 80s reference I just made, they made Connor <laughs> Lamb. Fetterman was literally dying in his overalls. I was going to go with the Goonies, but okay. Yeah, but Fetterman destroyed him. And now you see Fetterman's campaign. It's, it's all about, I'm the authentic Pennsylvania guy against this fraud, Oz. He's trolling him. He's using social media. That's the one narrative. It sticks and it works. And I feel like this is an example for Democrats to see, oh, there's an opening here. And then the last thing I'll say is you have to be aggressive now. You have to call out the Republicans for the extremists that you can be. I remember last time you said Jamie Raskin almost went there, Mary, right? Like there's some extremists. It's all about be extremists. This is what we're up against. They're the enemies. Even right now with a bad economy, just say like, we're trying to save the economy. What have you done, uh, Republicans? What's your idea? What's your plan? Punch, 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 punch. And you can now pivot and understand the game and play the game the way the Republicans have. But instead of bad faith, you have good policies. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. I, you know, Batman uh, bring in uh, another TED Talk. I liked that uh, TED Talk. Yeah, well, it was good. It was good. Brian, I go, we're going to go to you and then Kurt, but um, just quickly. Yes, I. the Democrats do need to craft a simple message. And I think part of the problem that is that that they don't is because either they don't want to scare people or they don't actually see what the problem is. I mean, it's literally... American democracy versus fascism. You know, if you if you want fascism, vote for Republicans. It really is that simple. And um, you know, by by pretending that's not the case, uh, and it's the same thing with the economy. Um, you can because the media fail repeatedly to explain or to contextualize inflation and gas prices. The pe person in charge always gets blamed for these things, even though it's absurd. But even though that's the case, what you can say is if, if you want to protect people to, to the extent that you can against inflation and high gas prices, you do things for them that the Republicans refuse to do. You give them a living wage. You give them universal health care and child care and on and on and on and on and on and on down that list. Democrats are for all of those. Republicans vote against those things all the time and then complain about the fact that Democrats aren't getting anything done. And it's just it, the absurdity of it is is maddening. So anyway, Brian, jump in. Well, look, I'll, I'll go back to the very beginning. I'm also, hi, Adam. With a few things. First of all, it, when it comes to getting elected, they don't have to like you. They have to like the other guy less. That was what Mitch McConnell figured out in 1984 when he got elected against a guy, D. Huddleston, who was one of the most beloved people in Kentucky politics. He made that nobody liked Mitch McConnell, but he made them like D. less. They have always successfully framed the argument where the Democrats haven't. They have done it consistently. And, and Waj, you were you pointed out 
uh, uh, Barack Obama, who, by the way, mentioned during his campaign that he was he was go he was a throwback to James Carville. It's the economy, stupid. Keep it simple, stupid. All of those things that Obama did and James did for Clinton is what got those two people elected. The Democrats don't get that yet. And they, and they still don't today. It is messaging. And by the way, it's gerrymandering. And we're talking about, you know, having to get people vote. The, look, the majority of people in this country agree with the Democratic agenda. There is no Republican agenda except control and conquer. And they're very good at making you afraid. Their message isn't positive message. Their message is to make you afraid of the other guy, like him less than me. So it's it's when you have a gerrymandered district, when you have, by the way, how many people come out and vote? 50% is considered a good voter turnout? That's crap. That means yeah. that the Republicans have a much better chance of winning because they have fewer people. The fewer people that vote, the more Republicans get elected. Um, it, you know, it, we said earlier, I can't remember who said it, that re Republicans blew up the, the rule book. The Democrats let them. The Democrats always play to the Republicans' playbook. They don't frame the argument. They don't tell you that as far as a narrative goes, and you're right, the world is made of narratives. What's the narrative? Where has there been a narrative? There are, I, I said it, it, and it angers me so much to when I have to talk to Democrats, why can't we get people to vote for us? I go, you're the party you know head. You've got the heart. All the okay. policies people want, but where's the Republicans have no heart. They only have a head for the fight. And they successfully frame the fight every time they come to the stage. And they are good at it, and they've done it for years. But and again, Brian, because just so I want to just let me just finish. The one thing that the Democrats need to learn is to quit blaming the press for their problems. There, the press is cheap. You want you want the press on your side. Take up the airtime. You want the you want to get your message out. Take up the airtime. Republicans, I can't tell you the number of times, Mary, I've gone to press conferences with Republicans, and the first thing they have at the press conferences, by the way, here's the food line, go get yourself something to eat. Every damn reporter in the world is paid poorly. You pay them, you feed them, you'll get what you want from them. The Democrats seem to think that their ideas are going to carry the day, and they don't take up the time, they take up no airtime in doing it. They this administration, for example, and I'll, I'll go back to that, when they had this one- Hold on a second. Hang on wait, one wait, second. Wait, because wait, no, because you keep, you're, you're, you're just criticizing Democrats. And that's fine no, for another I'm time. You the are, press, though. But the Republicans. I, I know you don't like the, the Democratic- uh, uh, but, but No, that's just not what we're talking about right now. I, it is. I'm you're not saying you messaging. don't- You're talking about how wait. to get more Democrats elected. And no, we're talking that, about we're talking about the disadvantages that the Democrats face. We criticize Democrats all own. the time. We criticize that's their okay. own. That, okay. I, I mean, if they, I do, I, I can't. You, you can't Can blame somebody. Help me out here. You can't blame the press for that. Look, why? Next okay. up, Julie Zebrak. All right, <laughs> Julie, go ahead. We'll, we'll get back to you later, Brian. Go ahead. Julie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So hi, Adam. Um, so one of the things that I mean, well, one of the things that I think is important, um, and it does play off of some of what Brian's saying with his cool sunglasses, is um, that I, th I think one of the challenges that we as Democrats face is that we don't necessarily call out each 
other as candidates in primaries. And I think that um, because Democrats are not are, are afraid to highlight each other's weaknesses because we're so polite. We don't want to be called misogynistic. We don't want to be called racist. We don't want to, you know, be called homophobic, whatever it is. Um, we don't necessarily, we, we sort of hold ourselves back. And that also, I think, impacts our messaging. So it, what ends up happening is that perhaps in races, like to, to y'all's point about John Fetterman being a great communicator and, and being, and being so authentic and, and all of that, I, I a hundred percent agree. Is that always the case with the candidate who is the loudest candidate is the, you know, most crazy candidate, the one that we should really be bidding forward. And this is not about John Fetterman at all, but the point is that we have to be willing, um, the way that the Republicans are willing to put ourselves on the line a little bit more and not fear the Twitterverse um, in terms of, uh, because voters aren't really paying attention to that, but not fear the Twitterverse of, of sort of um, putting forth the best candidates that we need to for each of the races. The other thing I would say, um, and this goes back to our original discussion with Mary about um about how the polls are and why aren't, why aren't these translating to, I mean, I think that when you look at polls, um, polls are reaching out to people who are willing to weigh in on something, do, uh, on an issue. Are those same people going to the poll? Are they, are they going to the polls? Are they voting? Right. Are they there on election day? I mean, I can tell you, and I don't know how many of you have young adult or, you know, young voters in your lives, but um, I mean, my kids keep telling me how disengaged young voters are right now because they, you know, every, they grew up um, hearing the alarm sounded about democracy and they voted and they showed up and they've been hearing this conversation at their dinner table for years. And all of a sudden there's no row that doesn't make sense to them. I mean, it just doesn't. Um, And the fact that we are still four years, five years in screaming about, you know, democracy is on fire. Um, I mean, we put the fear in people, Brian, to your point that the, that Republicans are, you know, scaring their voters, we're scaring our voters, but they're not, they're disengaged. I mean, the ones, you know, that we yeah, really need, vote. the undecideds, the independents, we need them to show up. And they're, we've been screaming for so long that they're, for some reason, Democratic voters don't, doesn't, that doesn't necessarily propel them to the polls. It propels them to throw up their hands. And I think that that's, you know, a big part of this and, and something that, you know, everybody gives up on young voters. I, I we got to get more creative. We got to get on TikTok. Hang on a second, Brian, because uh, Adam hasn't gotten to talk yet. Uh, cause he's, um, 20 minutes late after I get from swimming. There's no such thing as late here. <laughs> anyway. Um, so I, I think Adam, that, that is, uh, true that fear doesn't work in our favor, but I think part of that is because, um, you know, like my daughter's life is bracketed by September 11th and the overturning of Roe <laughs> and Casey, right? Uh, and in between, um, climate change and on and on and on. Uh, so, like, this has sort of been this onslaught, and the fear is of. So what, like one more thing is going to be taken away from us. And whereas on the other side, I think, you know, just the, the, as, as Waj said earlier, white supremacy is a really powerful fucking drug and just making them afraid of losing 
by the way, they would lose nothing if the demographic shift, the weather shifting, but they're being told that they're going to lose something. And they, I mean, they wouldn't lose nothing. They would lose their white privilege, but you know, poor babies, uh, that would make you equal with everybody else. Um, but I, I want to go back to the idea of the uh, structural uh, disadvantages because, you know, there has been this conversation recently about how democratic leadership is too old and it's this gerontocracy. And I'm not going to dispute that. I think the bigger problem, and sometimes it, it results with somebody being old, but the bigger problem is that these people have been in Congress for 500 years. Uh, you know, so there's there's very little turnover. But the same is true on the Republican side. The difference is that the the structures in place benefit their kind of politics uh, because they don't want anything to change. Um, and then there's also this double standard. I Nothing made me angrier in 2016 and after than for somebody to say to me that Hillary Clinton was a bad candidate. Okay, she beat her primary opponent by 4 million votes. She beat her general election opponent by 3 million votes. And my answer, my my response would always be, she was a bad candidate compared to whom? So, you know, you could have these hideous people like Ted Cruz, who, as far as I understand, is like one of the most hated people in the history of Congress. But Democrats need to be like kids don't even like him. Right. Exactly. So, Adam, it's like that. That's another one of those double standards that just I'm not sure how how we negotiate that. Yeah, I like to call a lot of them the College of Cardinals. Um, I think many of them are rewarded for, you know, or they're called institutionalists, uh, despite the fact that they're sort of anything but, um, you know, in the Mitch McConnells of the world. I think Democrats are often scared of their own shadows. Um, Mary, you made a great point last week in terms of how Republicans don't really, you know, need to do anything to win. We we have to do everything to win. Um, you know, look no further than Virginia, where you know they can they can lie on one or two things, and and Democrats can't even seem to wrap their heads around you know the one issue that is an affecting election while we're knocking on every single door in the state, and Republicans are knocking on any doors. So, um, but you know, if you look in Ohio this year, you've got uh, you know teenagers running for office, and I think that you know when you talk about um, your daughter being born a month after nine eleven, and and this is one of the first things that's really, you know, sort of hit home with her with the Supreme Court. Um, it's almost like we had to sort of hit rock bottom for a lot of people to wake up, despite the fact that, you know, for years and years, many of the things that Hillary Clinton was saying on the campaign trail that, you know, uh, that election would affect ultimately came true. I think the best thing that we can do is is speak to our base and and run candidates and support candidates who who care. I mean, the Fetterman example is one example, but if we look around the the country, you know, you someone like Val Demings, you know, what we're hearing in, in Florida right now is that Marco Rubio is, is is in fact terrified of her. And he put out an ad today that's just a bunch of law enforcement folks, you know, basically attacking her. And and you know, uh, we've got a incredible black woman running for the US Senate with a law enforcement background who's outraised him. And a lot of those races come down to 30,000 votes. So I think we need to just do anything and everything we can. Michelle Obama um, famously said, you know, let's let's get an extra two, three, four votes out. And, you know, at the local level in these precincts, because if you're going to bring someone out to vote for that, you know, teenager running for a state level seat in Ohio, ultimately they're going to vote for Tim Ryan statewide. And I think that these these low level offices that we lost I think in upwards of a thousand, um, you know, under the Obama administration, but we won many of them back after Trump was elected. 
um, are critical to what we need to do to, to, to win throughout the country. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, I'm not saying just because Democrats can run, uh, sorry, Republicans can run bad candidates that the Democrats should slack off at all, but no, no, you're no. right, Adam. I, I mean that, that we have to work much, much harder. And Kurt, I think the reason it's important to put it in these terms um, and talk about gerrymandering and voter suppression and voter subversion, which is something that we really, 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 really have to worry about, especially in 2024, is, is to get, get to those people who say, you know, I voted, nothing changed. First of all, democracy is a process. And maybe if we educated people about that, that would be, <laughs> that would be helpful. You know, it's not, a, it's not an end in itself, but if I think if people got how, um, how things are stacked against Democrats, that would actually motivate them like, okay, so we need, we need to come out in such force. Uh, do you think that's yeah. something that, that could be useful? Yeah, because I think back to even 2016, the, the the expectation from everybody, right, was Hillary was going to win. There, there, were, there was no real urgency, I think, I, you know, observationally. Um, there were, I think, a lot of Democrats who, for a myriad of reasons, ideologically, whether it's about Bernie Sanders or Hillary or Donald Trump being a joke, like they, they could just sit this one out. And enough people felt that way that you look at some of the, the data in some of the key states like Wisconsin, where some of the highest concentration of, of Democratic precincts didn't have the turnout that matched what they did in the primary. Uh, they sat that one out, and, and, and that's in part how we got to where we are right now. Uh, you know, the thing about Republicans, they never have to be told to vote. They always show up. The Republican base always votes in every election, every primary. It doesn't matter who the candidate is. They turn out. Uh, Democrats have to be like the biggest frustration I have is this feeling that why in the hell does do we need to sound the alarm to get you to show up and vote? The other guys do it automatically. Why, why do you need an embroil embrossed invitation to show up to to save your own self interest? Really, at the end of the day, um, that's what kind of drives me nuts. Um, you know, it, it, Republicans and Democrats are just different DNA uh, on oh, so many levels. Fear. Um, Not to mention the cost to get everybody out to vote, the, yeah. the right. human and resource heavy costs to, for those GOTV efforts. Because right. some of them are, a lot of those voters, Kurt, are what I, I think, Julie, what you're talking about is, and I, I've helped do this at the precinct level, is you get a bus and you go pick people up. There are people who actually cannot afford or cannot get to the voting, which is why they loosened and allowed people to vote the way they did and why the Republicans are so much against it. Because the Democratic right. voters, the, the Republican voters are not only motivated, but they have usually, even the far right, have the means they've all worked together to get and vote, whereas the Democrats right. don't. And that I've worked those precincts where you actually volunteer to, to drive a bus, to go pe pick people up, and, and get them to the polls to vote. That, that's all a the while too. And I think, you know, a thing that isn't that, that for whatever reason has been almost bypassed by the entire media apparatus. I'm not saying this to shit on the media. It's just an observation, but like this election that we're going to have in 22 is going to be less free and less fair than the 2020 election. The 2020 yeah. election was the most accurate election we have ever had. When you think about the scrutiny that it has been under that that's multiple times that states have recounted the ballots 
based on frivolous lawsuits from Republicans. It is the most accurate five election times. that five we have times. ever had. You could even hand and, out water and, and, in 2020 in Georgia. And, That's right. And, <laughs> exactly. and who said since that? Then, and since then, ahead, Republicans Kirk. have systemically passed laws to make it harder for people to vote in the election. This election that we're going to have is already an uphill climb for the Democratic Party. It's not going to be conducted on a level playing field. Uh, it will be less free and less fair than a 2020 election. And that's not really talked about at all, uh, w w which just drives me nuts. Everybody loves cereal. The crunch, the sweetness, the way you can eat a whole box at any time of the day or night. Magic Spoon has truly changed the game by taking out the sugar and upping the protein. They've perfected the crunchy texture with an astounding variety of flavors that always hit the spot, just like all of your favorite cereals from childhood, but without any of the things that are bad for you. Magic Spoon cereals have got zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four to five net grams of carbs in each serving. Magic Spoon is low carb, keto friendly, gluten free, grain free, soy free, and only 140 calories a serving. Plus, you can build your own box with a huge variety of incredible flavors. You'll love the classics like cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter that taste just like you remember. If you want a dose of nostalgia, you can mix cocoa and peanut butter. Then there are the cult favorites. Whether you choose blueberry muffin, maple waffle, or honey nut, you can't go wrong. And you can also indulge yourself with cookies and cream and cinnamon roll. Whatever you're looking for in a sweet, crunchy cereal, Magic Spoon has got you covered. Go to magicspoon.com Mary to grab a custom bundle of cereal and try the magic for yourself. And be sure to use our promo code Mary at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in its product that it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com Mary and use the code Mary to save $5. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. But Kurt, I, I, yes, but um, although the 2020 election was accurate and as as you've noted, how many recounts and, and double checking and triple checking, but I don't think we can say uh, it was free and fair either because how many voters were stricken off the voter rolls? So, uh, Jen, that problem is only getting worse because I, as as Kurtz pointed out, um, even with uh, the gerrymandering and the voter suppression in place, Republicans still lost. So they're even more motivated, you know, uh, and we've seen it in state after state after state. The voter suppression legislation, you know, um, not being able to bring water, making to, to, to black voters who have to wait in line for eight hours. Um, so somebody suggested, I think it was one of you guys, that we'll just bring beer instead. I decided that Urban. I'm gonna I'm gonna set up a taco truck on every corner. Um, you know, everything will cost a penny. I, I guess that'll still be legal. But 
Jen, the, the point is that um, so much of this is being legislated. <laughs> and we know that in some states, the, uh, the Republican legislatures uh, are so cemented and, and so powerful that Democrats have to win like 60, 65 percent of the vote just to get at parity. So, um, again, that can be demoralizing because people think, well, then, you know, my vote doesn't really count. But it, but we we I think we need to frame it as an opportunity in 2022. Does that is that something that you think we can do? Um, even though we don't have a fedora on, mm. I think that you you can still speak. And next time we'll just have to wear a hat. Uh, I can speak. I can speak no, without a fedora. Yeah, even without a hat. It's yeah. It's, I mean, look, I'm here for the penny tacos, and I think that's a great idea. Um, and you know, penny, you know, water bottles or whatever, you know, it is. Look, I mean, the system, the way you know, the way votes get counted, the way votes get allocated. The reality is, yes, hugely stacked against the Democratic Party. But that's not going to change. The rules of the game, even those that could change, will not change until Democrats have the true levers of power um, to get rid of the filibuster. Right now, even though it's 50-50, you know, two more votes will make all the difference in the world. And, you know, the math isn't that hard. I mean, if I were in charge of any of the advertising for the Democratic Party, especially for the Senate, um, I would, and if I were Pelosi, not just in tweets, but I would have ads that showed a chart that just said, you know, we can't keep beating up on, you know, we can beat up on Manchin and Cinema all you want, but actually having them matters because we get control of the committees. Now we just need two more so we can lift the filibuster and get the rules in place that will make it easier for us to win. And then we can get more. What frustrates me the most is then people on Twitter are back to me. Why just two? Why not all of them? I'm like, look at, hey, fuck you. They're not all up for election. You know, I'm sorry. You don't get so, that. Like, I can't do that. But I understand, like, I, you know, just the, the, the basic math. It's like, we need Tim Russer to come back from the dead and explain the math to people with his like little whiteboard or whatever the hell he did. Well, somebody else should be able to do it. Do we need to resurrect Tim Russer? I mean, I have a whiteboard. Like, what I love about democratic voters is, you know, you heard the expression, they have to fall in love. They don't just fall in line. And you're not going to yell people into voting. We're not going to tell people change the way we are. If you're, you know, you've got to know your market. You've got to know your customer. That's who Democrats are. And so can't, you know, we always talk about representation, how representation matters. Young voters are not going to vote for their great grandparents. They're not going to be excited <laughs> well, about that. That's true, but they yeah. don't have much yeah. of a Well, no, I'm, I'm fucking serious. Well, you yeah. are, you're right. Yeah. I'm dead serious. And when you yeah. look a while ago, I think right when Donald was elected, I went back and looked at like all the way back to the history of the Democratic Party. And it was rare to have a Democratic president win their first term in office if they were like over the age of their 40s. And they were often outsiders. Yeah. I mean, you just look 
at who wins. It's not, you know, and the problem is that's not how candidates rise themselves up. They do it because they're fucking ambitious and they mm -hmm. want to be president. And that's not how anything should be. It should be right. who can lift the party. Right. Who do we, you know, that's where in everything was it, it was Waj was saying, picking up on what Obama did. And I loved it so much because it like echoed my observation. So this is arrogance, of course. But this idea that it's the person that someone's voting for, it's a name on a ballot. The end yep. game is the name on the ballot. Some people will vote all the way down, but you're not going to even show up to vote unless you know the name on the ballot and know why you're voting for them. And it's not, it's not enough just to not like the other guy. It's to know the name and to believe that they're different. And what Julie said earlier is, to some degree, this time is different and because before everyone could say everyone's corrupt, doesn't matter if you vote. So now the message is, oh, no, it really matters. Republicans will take your rights away. So that's why the Republicans big message is, oh, the Democrats didn't do anything for years. That's why your moderate white guys are saying this. Their Republican white guy friends are saying it doesn't really matter. The Democrats could have taken care of this. So it's really important to explain why they couldn't have, why the votes weren't there. And now the urgency is here. But we also have to get candidates in front of people who people want to vote for, who have a story. So yeah, and and I think and that's by the way, way I know we're not talking about twenty twenty four, but Houston, we have a problem. Yeah, uh, who's your well, we you can talk no about strength. We can the talk Democrats about have no bench strength. We can Neither talk about Brian. Watch it next. <laughs> I have to wear. I, I have to wear a hat. A so I saw Brian wear a fedora. So I, I wore a hat. I, I, you know, just to connect the dots too, with your original question about the structural disadvantages that the Democrats have. So if you lean back and you do an X-ray of of the like of democracy, the disadvantage has always been there because of white supremacy. I know it sounds like a broken record, right? But you have to kind of explain this to folks. And I think Jen and when Julie are saying there's an opening here for Democrats in the sense that I think you have four issues right now. You got abortion, you got guns, you got accountability with the January 6th commission and climate change. These are crises that are happening at the same time. These crises are impacting people. These crises are making people afraid and terrified. And what Democrats can do, knowing full well that there's structural disadvantages, is actually communicate why people need to come out to vote. So I'll give you an example of where I think AOC and Warren used the moment to actually connect the dots. Right when the abortion ruling came out three weeks ago, I think they went, I think AOC went on Colbert and, and Warren came out, right? And they said, listen, I know you guys voted, but we need you to come out and vote in numbers to give us at least two more Democrats who will promise that they will get rid of the filibuster. It's because of the filibuster that we can't codify Roe because the Republicans are extremists who are taking away your votes and your freedoms, right? So if I had to come up with a message for Democrats in this moment that connects all the dots, I would say Republicans are taking away your freedoms. They're taking away your right to, to control your body. They're banning books. Uh, they're going to destroy the climate. And oh, by the way, they care about guns more than their kids. And by the way, they're taking away your vote and they're taking away democracy. Look at January 6th. Democrats are going to fight for your freedoms. We're the fighters. We're going to take, take, take back our rights. But the whole system is against us because the system, I'm going to say this also, is controlled by elites who cater to the grievances of Republicans. And this is where I want Democrats for the next like year to kind of act like Republicans and punch 
and kind of whine a little bit more and complain because that's what Republicans do, which is why every single institution, Mary, structurally bends their knee to Republicans. Mm -hmm. I just hit back. I'm like, media, why would you hire Mick Mulvaney? Why does the Supreme Court have six extremists? Why does the minority in the Senate, 50 Republican senators control uh, what women can do? Like, you know, just nonstop. And so you then make yourself out to be like, and America loves this story, ladies and gentlemen, the type of rogue maverick up against the system. And you're fighting the good fight and you need to bring along the multicultural Avengers and go against these people against your freedom. You connect the dots that way. And then that gives, I think, Democrats the leverage to kind of make this narrative case. Now, what Jen says is people do vote for the candidate. And the reason why I think, Julie, you brought up that point also where there's so many Democratic voters who aren't excited by Biden is they don't see that passion and fight in Biden that they're seeing in other candidates. If Biden was to simply, even if he doesn't believe it, I don't give a shit. Who knows what politicians really believe? Like, no one knows, right? But if he says the stuff that they want him to say, and he promises that fight and connects the dots about why you need to come out to vote to overcome the structural disadvantage, you have two years, and I think it'll seep in enough where the Republicans are going so extreme, especially on women's rights, that this young generation and even those moderate white dudes, Julie, and many independent suburban women are like, oh, shit, Democrats are onto something. This isn't just both sides. These mother effers are crazy. Oh, right. if I vote again, even though I voted during mm-hmm. a pandemic, oh, I need to do a little bit more to codify this. OK, I get it. And I yeah. think this is why those who get depressed, I do feel like there is an opening here, especially right now with how the Republicans have so hard right on guns, climate, January 6th and abortion that Democrats can still pull it off, at least the Senate in 2022 and the presidency, but they need the candidates to match the passion and intensity of the disillusioned voters. Yeah. And, and it's part of that is part of the reason that is necessary is because, and I've said this many times, forgive me for repeating myself, but the Biden administration continually gets treated as a normal administration that followed another normal administration Obviously, nothing is farther from the truth, but that's how that's the narrative now. And I don't think there's anything we can do to change that. So that's another disadvantage. The other thing that many of you have touched on is that the Democrats, as the Republican Party has become narrower and appealed to a narrow group of people and become almost monolithic, the Democratic tent has had to become even bigger and appeal to even more people. That's very difficult. That makes it so even though there are more of us. It, it's much harder to, to hone the right message, you know, to get the word. So as Waj just said, Brian, there are so many devastatingly scary things that the Republicans are doing right now that it shouldn't it should be easier, unfortunately, than usual uh, to craft the message that is just going to go right to the heart of the matter. Well, Brian and then Julie. All I can tell you is if if the Republicans didn't fall because of Donald Trump and the, the Democrats have not been able to take advantage of the problems that were inherent with Donald Trump, then the problem lies in all of us, folks. Um, look, Raj, you make a great point. And every one of you have made excellent points about getting people out to vote and the problems facing the Democratic Party. But, you know, it's Pogo. We have met the enemy and he is us. If the if the if the Biden administration would merely come out and say it, it with their messaging, 
Wodge, as you said, they think of themselves and they are a bit elitist and they do. And, and I know people don't like that term, but I'm sorry that they treat everyone as we're the good guys because Donald Trump was a bad guys. That's fine. But that's a low bar to crawl over. We need more. There is a there is a very low. There's not a very strong bench strength in the Democratic Party that if you want to fault Obama for anything, it was building his bench strength that he didn't do well. Biden has it done well. The Republicans have a, a weak bench strength as well. However, they have loud mouths and they have people that will scare you and they will they will whip up their supporters. Those supporters will vote. And then you have, as every one of you rightly pointed out, the Democratic problem in getting their voters to the polls is getting them to believe in the individual. Who is that individual? Who will step up? Who will be the one on the Democratic side of the aisle who will say, I'm the guy and, you know, keep it simple, stupid and get people to vote. That's the challenge that we face going And Look, I'm not looking any farther than the 2022 midterm elections. Nope. At that point in time, if the Democrats lose the House and the Senate, this country is done. I think if they lose the House, it's done. But that's- I, I, well, there for uh, well, I talked to Joe Walsh last week, and Joe said, "Look, if the Democrats lose the House and retain the Senate, that could he believes it could play to the Democrats' strength. That somehow that that will in, will help Biden. I don't yeah, know if a I hell buy of a that. Risk. A hell I, of a I don't risk. know if I buy that. I'm just telling you that that is out there. But sure. the the real simple fact of the matter is the Biden impeachment and, will make him stronger. Yeah, right. The 2022 election." is the tail of the tape. This is it. This is the last chance. And if the Democrats do not get what they need out of 2022, this country is done. And I'm telling you right now, the Republicans would be fine with that. And that's what we have to make people understand. And that's at the, at the top of the show, you said, you know, this is, how do you, how do you retain? How do you, how do you hold on to the democracy? How do you get the Democrats and the, and the progressives to, to get in office. Well, folks, you got to vote. And at the yeah. bottom line is, if you don't, you're fucked. <laughs> That's, okay. I don't, know how, I don't know how to put it any other way. <laughs> right. So I agree with you on 2022. Um, obviously, <laughs> I think all of us do. Here's the deal, though. Like, I'm a big, you know, I've been working in this space for probably six years after a career in the federal government. Um People come to me all the time venting their frustrations. And the best thing that I find that helps people feel better is giving them concrete action. And so whether it was, you know, in 2017, 2018, um, whether it was once this, um, the Roe memo, the Roe opinion was leaked, and then when Roe was overturned, you have to give people concrete action um, to A, keep them engaged and let them have them feel less powerless than they already feel. And so one of the things that I think we have to focus on is we have, um, we are not done with primary season. We are not, you know, there are quite a few states who have um, elections coming up and, um, and are choosing their candidates. And we've got to get people, keep people engaged on that. When um, Waj, he stepped out, but when he was talking about Candidates need to be saying, eliminate the filibuster, Roe is on the line, you know, um, you know, uh, codifying Roe and our voting rights and all these huge issues, common sense gun reform. Um, as 
some of you on this uh, call know, I'm involved in the Wisconsin primary. These candidates are all saying that. I mean, the candidates are talking about this on yeah. the trail. I mean, but they're not the ones who are on Rachel Maddow or on, you know, Don Lemon. They're not, it's not being covered. It's being covered very locally. And I understand why. I mean, obviously, Wisconsin voters or any other state for that matter are focused, um, are getting their news from their local papers. But we also know people do watch the news and are online. And we've got an opportunity in Wisconsin. We've got more primaries coming up. Today is the Maryland primary. Not that, you know, we've got any big issues in Maryland right now, but folks have got to be engaged both to help candidates, knock on doors, text voters, phone bank, make donations, like all of those things. If you're, you know, and Wisconsin has this opportunity now, they, you know, whether you want to donate to Wisconsin Democrats, just the organization, or you want to help those Wisconsin Democrats with their get out the vote efforts. If you're not able to choose a candidate from out of state, or if you're in state and you don't know yet, like there are ways to help those candidates. Um, I will say in terms of um, having people fired up, you know, we have a moment here, especially with women, with Roe having being overturned and, and many Americans recognizing the threat to their, to our individual rights, whether it's on gay marriage, interracial marriage, or whatever comes next. Um, you know, there's a woman running for Senate in Wisconsin. Um, I will ask forgiveness later from you all. Her name is Sarah Godlewski. She's trying to fire up her, her, constituency for um, to vote for the woman who's going to prioritize Roe. I mean, 50 years, we haven't, we haven't codified Roe in this country, and we need to get that done. And so who's going to do that? I don't know. But I'm going to, I mean, I, I'm going to count on a Democratic pro-choice candidate to get that done. And I'm going to count on a woman who's going to do it because she will prioritize it. And I know that's not to say that other candidates won't, but like, we've got to think about who are we voting for who's going to prioritize the issues that we care about and making sure our friends and our neighbors and our, you know, cousins and, and all these states who have primaries coming up and then at the general, we've got to keep talking about it and get folks fired up. Because if you feel powerless, you don't show up. I mean, that at the end of the day is what happens. You just shrug and say, well, what can I do about it? And I think a lot of women right now are feeling that way. What can I do? Voting yeah. doesn't feel like enough. Right. And, and it's, it isn't enough, but it, it is at the very least. Right. Uh, and I, I think part of it is helping people understand it in exactly those terms and reminding them that we're actually uh, fortunate that despite all of the disadvantages, despite the fact that the Democrats start with two hands tied behind their back, we do have the numbers to overcome those disadvantages and then right the wrongs. We just don't have the numbers in the Senate right now. It's that's it's literally, you know, Jenny said this earlier, it's literally that simple. Um, and I think if we can distill those messages down, um, it will be incredibly helpful in getting people engaged, keeping them motivated. Um, speaking of which, we're going to shift gears as we start wrapping up. Um, some of you here last week, we did this uh, because we have to also figure out ways. I don't know if we want to call this a palate cleanser or what, but um, 
things are really dark. Uh, I don't know if you guys watched Lawrence O'Donnell last night, but his piece on Uvalde <laughs> was just, I mean, just when you think the news can't get worse, it gets worse, that situation. And, and it, I swear to God, I felt broken. Uh, and then, of course, we find out that the video that was released had sound removed from it. So we couldn't hear what was going on in the classroom, and I won't say anything else about it. So, you know, I don't think human beings are built for a 24-hour news cycle in which 99.9% .9 of the news is horrific, especially in the midst of a now worsening pandemic. <laughs> so please <laughs> share with me and with everybody else, you know, whether it's it's something you're you're doing right now or reading or a movie or a TV show or a trip, what what is helping you hang on to a sense of hope or or just a way of escaping everything so you can kind of come back refreshed? Uh, Adam, I'm going to start with you today. Uh, well, the Wall Street Journal is out today with a do-it-yourself home project where you can build a <laughs> casket. I will not be doing that. Um, I but... already start. I I went out and bought the lumber this morning after you sent me that text. Thank you. Um, I think that uh, August fifth, uh, my newsletter is putting out uh, what we're calling the Great American Scream, where everyone just goes outside and screams during that day. <laughs> so you can mark it down, August fifth, one p.m. Eastern. Go outside and scream. Okay. Is everyone that a Friday? <laughs> we'll be yeah. Friday, August fifth. During the day, you know, so there's less calls into the police. I anticipate, I, I expect to hear all of you. <laughs> okay, Jen. Um, I guess two things. I We're just becoming a regular zoo at my house. We've now adopted, uh, my teen has adopted a corn snake, which is just gorgeous. Her name is uh, Yumi, which means, I'm pronouncing it wrong, but that means corn in Mandarin. Um, cool. And she's like this pinkish orange luminescent uh, figure. And so that's happened. I now definitely want to, I'm thinking of birds, but I think I, I better not tell Michael. I hope he's not listening. Um, but um, Talk to me first, please. I am digging into, um, you know, late 19th century, early 20th century tax legislative history, which is like super calming for me. Um, and working on a book you project. soporific or just comic? No, I mean, I just love, you know, I like to, something about the 24-hour news cycles and everybody's like focused on the same topic. Yeah. I like to be reading something I know like no one in the world is, like a, you know, two-volume biography of William Howard Taft. I'm pretty certain almost nobody's wow doing that at the moment. So like I'm having fun in my little corner of my brain, um, escaping today's you know um stuff but it actually relates to today because when i you know when the book comes out it will be about something i hope i can have an you know, impact on so that's what yeah. i do to escape julie may have been there but there's a store antique store in maryland that has buckets of the old prohibition um medical prescriptions i've been there and you can go through them and they're like 10 cents or a dollar each but you go through them and you can see all sorts of names and and addresses you recognize it's kind of fun I need a, I need to follow up on that. Uh, Brian, other uh, than wearing fedoras and very cool shades. <laughs> well, there's bourbon. <laughs> that, that, that helps. 
but I garden. I, I love going out and go, if anybody wants tomatoes, I got tons of them. Julie, you're in the neighborhood. Adam, I think you're around. I'll be happy to share tomatoes, cucumbers, beans. <laughs> I go out there and garden, forget everything. But the only thing, the real thing that keeps me happy and keeps me sane is wearing this fedora and going up on stage and singing rock and roll music. And then I, I, I can't relate to the, to the country music because I grew up in Louisville and I got tired of people saying, go wash your face and put on your paints and let's go listen <laughs> to music. Can't do that no more. So I'd rather listen to rock and roll and play some rock and roll. And honest to God, it keeps me a little bit. Uh, I mean, I guess you can debate how sane it keeps me. but it, <laughs> it Don't do anything Brian is saying. Yeah. <laughs> just keeps me out of the news cycle because you're right. It, you know, I'll, I'll say after four years of Donald Trump, and I, I put the uh, honorific Donald in front of the Donald, Don the Con, because Mary, you're so, I, I love you. You're, you know, I, I, you know, I love you. But it's so, I don't know how you, you and I grew up in a very similar family. We've had that conversation. And yeah. in honest to God, after four years of walking into a, a, a White House and going, it can't get any worse than it was the day before. And every day I was wrong. It you, you can't handle 24 hours of that crap anymore. It's so very difficult for me to stay engaged without having something uh, to keep me uh, at least, you know, communicating in complete sentences. That's what I'm down to these days. <laughs> just, yeah. just that. If I get a complete sentence out, I'm happy. <laughs> has, has anyone yeah, ever right? said that Mary is going to make the Trump name great again? <laughs> no people always tell me to change my name like oh, okay. they can no. change their name i'm not changing my change name. his name yeah exactly um brian i love you you drive me crazy but i love you, I love you. Uh, you know, that's what i do best i do that for everybody it's, it's really <laughs> impressive uh julie, julie uh that's funny um <laughs> uh so we're not laughing at you wash <laughs> Go ahead, Julie. Yeah. Even so, if you are, it's just tell like you if my you home. are. Right. Even if I was. Right. I noticed that Waj hopped off to follow me on Twitter, so I appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad, glad you noticed. I did. That's notice. for you. <laughs> so really, nobody's uh, paying attention to the show. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, so what I'm doing to stay sane. Um, well, to my point a few minutes ago about taking concrete action, when I am at my most um, – feeling powerless, I take concrete action. So like I mentioned, I'm working on a Senate campaign for um, Sarah Godlewski in uh, Wisconsin that um, I am helping people decide who to vote for today in Maryland, which is a much, you know, super easy task. Um, I have a mini Bernadoodle who is mm -hmm. the absolute best. I know Jen does as well. But anyways, um, she keeps me happy all day long. Um, and I have two amazing college girls who I feel I have to continue this fight for. Um, because if not me and you all, then who? Um, and so, you know, this is, they have propelled me um, and incur, I wouldn't say encourage me, just their mere existence has inspired me to um, become more and more of an advocate for women's rights. Um, and I think that, you know, being a role model for how important that is, is, you know, something that I live and breathe. And I know that one day they will appreciate. <laughs> yeah. And, and even so, if they don't, it's still worth doing. Yeah. And besides that, I like to um, go to the beach. That's my other 
sanity. That's my favorite place to be. Yes. Uh, Waj, what do you, anything to recommend that can help the rest of us <laughs> stay sane? Or what are you doing to keep yourself sane in uh, I'm, these I'm, very yeah, troubled times? I'm glad you asked that question. I think it's very important. We take it for granted. Uh, you know, I'm of that generation. I think we're Gen X, millennial, a little bit older, where like no one talked about self-care when we were growing up. Like that's like a, right. that's a Gen Z thing we should thank them for. Mm-hmm. Our generation was taught to just suffer well and suffer quietly and silently and smile with our white teeth and man up and then just die at, at the age of 65 of a heart attack. Uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> everyone's like, that person, that person worked out. What happened to them? He seems Which so is happy. why it's a good thing that the Wall Street Journal has a piece about making your own coffin. Yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah, well, do it yourself. Pull yourself from, from your bootstraps and make your own coffin as you die. Uh, but I think uh, it's, a, it's a narrative that we rejected, thankfully. And I think especially during these hopeless times, it's important to have hope. So I take this question seriously, and I, and I, and I say this uh, with utmost sincerity. As a person who's been th- through a few things in the past few years. Uh, one or two. Yeah. Uh, you know, my daughter, uh, you guys have seen her sometimes. She She's the cancer survivor, stage four cancer survivor, and she had a full liver transplant. And that happened right before the pandemic. So when I say this, it's some hard-earned wisdom. I think first and foremost, investing in the narrative of hope is very important. And, and you have to really invest in it almost like you have to choose to do it. It's, it's one yep. of those like it's an exercise because the opposite of hope is cynicism and apathy, which is comforting, but also cheap and lazy. Uh, and it means you just throw out booze from the cheap seats as a spectator. And getting in the ring, especially for this country, it means exposing yourself to pain and disappointment because this country will betray you time and time again and will break your heart. But it's the only way to push the ball forward. So first and foremost, I think really making the choice to invest in hope. And then there's another there's a great saying. Muslims have this great saying is uh, have faith in God, but tie your camel first. Which means like, uh, you know, yeah, sure, have faith, but uh, do everything you can with your own two hands and exhaust yourself to fix your local situation. And then after that, let it go, because there's only so much we can do. Like at the end of the day, I can only control my own intentions and actions. What else can I do? And I think that gives you a sense of empowerment and autonomy, right? Because if you sit there and go, holy shit, man, fascism, climate change, student debt, gun, like I can't do everything. You get overwhelmed. Yeah, you get overwhelmed. Serenity prayer. Yeah, it's, 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 it's too much. But I think if you're like, okay, I can at least change my intentions, my actions, be the role model that I want to be in my home, in my local community, it gives you a sense of like realistic purpose and, and autonomy. And I think then committing yourself, as Julie was saying, to do something, even if it is, you know, I, I get I get this question a lot, Mary, sorry for, for saying spending time on this, but so many people tell me, I want to help, but I'm nobody. I'm not like you and Mary and Brian and Jenna. I always tell people, I love nobodies. I'm a nobody. Some of my favorite people are nobodies. Um, but I think people feel like, oh, I'm not on TV and I'm, I don't write articles. And who am I? And I feel like everyone, going back to the theme, everyone has some superpower. Everyone has something that they can do. And I think if you make that intention to act with that superpower and do that local footprint, even if it is you're a, even if you're a homemaker, even if you're a guardian, you're like, I will instill in my family, in my home, certain values. I will change my rhetoric and behavior. You are impacting future generations. I will run mm-hmm. for school board. I will run for city council. And so I feel doing that. And then the final thing is, is spending at least 15 to 20 to 30 minutes a day, like an exercise and giving yourself permission to invest in anything that gives you joy. I don't care if it's watching Grey's Anatomy, cooking, it's something silly. Like you have to give yourself permission in these moments 
to give yourself joy and to invest in those activities because I don't need political martyrs. I'm tired of like the democratic martyrs. I need you to live. I need you to live for 30, 40 years. I need to build up a diverse coalition. And I think this narrative of suffering and martyrdom is one thing we should reject. And it's one of those things which our kids, we don't realize our kids are paying attention to us. And they're like, dude, my parents' generation is exhausted, stressed, and pissed off. I don't want this shit. But if they're like, oh, look, they're doing good deeds, but they're also like joyful. Oh, I want to tap into that. So anyway, you asked me a very profound question. I gave you a much longer answer than you asked for, but that's that's how I keep myself grounded and happy. I, I love never, that never complain about uh, answering a question like that. Uh, I just want to clarify something. I'm guessing you meant 30 or 40 years more, not just 30 or 40 years. More. Uh, yeah, yeah, more. And also, you know, there's the serious business of making Starry Starry Night logo uh, Legos. So come an, on. An excellent Lego that I highly like recommend. Props to the Legos. Um, and it's very interesting. There is no word really in the English language um, for, you know, taking care of your, like self-care. I don't know. It's not, doesn't really work. But there's no word that doesn't have a negative connotation. Right. They're selfish, selfish. So um, you're all right. I mean, this is about making sure that we are in a position to keep fighting because this is a fight and we're, we're fighting a multi-front war and uh, it can be exhausting and it can be all those other things. And, you know, I, I'm a lot of the, most of this, I think is COVID for me. I, I never had COVID, but I have COVID brain anyway, just from, you know, the stress and the isolation and, you know, social anxiety and all that stuff. Um, so it's really hard for me to focus. So like, I can't really do Like I love Faulkner and Henry James and like, I can't quite deal with that kind of density right now in my reading. So, um, you know, trying to read lighter stuff or, um, uh, I just, uh, I had read station 11, the novel, uh, and I just, I don't know why I didn't know this. It's a TV series and it's actually beautiful. Uh, awesome fucking so amazing so good i can't wait till the next season i mean it's just the writing the acting and it's beautifully produced uh so that's something check out and you know uh, in addition just to, because of stress and all that other stuff i'm like in the worst shape of my life so i'm i and i'm you know an athlete so that's very frustrating i used to play tennis all the time and i also love the beach so i'm trying really hard because that that is something like feeling good physically is something that does give me joy, not the process of getting there so much. So, you know, um, trying really hard to do that. And I uh, bought a, a an ocean skull, which is something I didn't know existed. I thought you could only skull on a river, but there is such a thing as an ocean skull. So it's up on Cape Cod right now. I'm in New York. But as soon as I can get out of here, I'm going to hit the ocean with my ocean skull and uh, row off into the sunset for a bit. Mary, um, is it disturbing that I thought that you literally found a skull in the ocean? <laughs> that's what I, thought. I was like, oh, good for you. I did too. Thank you. Wow. Um, I'm like, that's dope. I'm like, oh, you found a skull in the ocean and now it's your personal skull. Okay. I'm not going to judge. I think the word for that is diagnostic. But anyway, <laughs> so, no, but seriously, the way I. I'm on uh, Cape Cod Bay, and it is the only place on the East Coast where you can watch the sunset over water. So I'm going to be literally rowing off into the sunset. Where's that? Where can Cape you Cod I on the bay? Cape Cod oh. Bay. I don't know why, but I'm picturing like a uh, Christmas vacation here, where Mary gets the beach, and Brian is like uh, the the family member that's waving, 
He's already at the beach, ready to greet Mary. I feel like Clay Thompson and Mary should be on their boat and like film something to get people out to vote. And then I'll be in the background holding a skull. That'll be like my. <laughs> Whose right. skull is the question, Watch. Who's Ra Randy Quaid? <laughs> Ryan Karen plays Randy Quaid. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Before we get completely off the rails. <laughs> oh, you guys. I feel so much better now than I did. Um, when I was yelling at Brian, I mean, before we started, <laughs> I gotta go uh, eat lunch. I'm hungry. Yes. All right. So everybody, thank you so much for being here. Waja Lee, columnist at the daily beast and co-host of the democracy ish podcast. Um, Kurt Bardella, current DNC and DCCC advisor, former Republican proprietor of the country music media company, the morning hangover, Brian Karam. <laughs> Columnist for Salon, host of the podcast, just asked the question and sued Donald a bunch of times to get his press back, back which he did. Uh, Adam Parkamenko, Democratic strategist, Jen Taub, law professor, author of Big Dirty Money, Making White Collar Criminals Pay. And Julie Zebrak, a veteran D.C. attorney and a seasoned political consultant. Julie, thank you for joining us for the first time. I hope you will come thank back. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate funny, all of you so much. And uh, hopefully I will see you soon. Thank you to my amazing guests. Uh, we went really long, but I kind of didn't want them to stop talking. And thanks to all of you for being with us, for hanging in there, for all of your great comments. So appreciate it. I just want to remind you that we have a big show coming up on Thursday. First, there's my one-on-one -on -one interview with Malcolm Nance, who just came out with a new book that we will discuss. Uh, it is very, um, very much relevant uh in this time and then right after that we will jump into our live stream of the january 6th select committee hearing number eight it promises to be off the charts so uh we will have an amazing panel of guests to preview it to talk to give live commentary as as possible uh, we will give analysis during the break and then, of course, uh, wrap up at the end. Uh, so that will be at 7 p.m. Eastern, 8 p sorry, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific is when the uh, interview with Malcolm Nance starts. And that's at YouTube.com slash Politicon. Immediately following, uh, there will be the live stream of the hearing. And then, of course, next week. I, unless there's another hearing, we will be back to our uh, regular schedule. The next strategy session, of course, is next Tuesday, 12 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, also at youtube.politicon. Sorry, youtube.com slash politicon. I should know that by now. And while you're there, please subscribe. It's free. Subscribe to Politicon. Like the episode. And there's a bell uh, that you can, there it is. If you just click on that bell, you will be notified every time a new episode drops. And just a reminder, I'm also uh, putting out shorter videos because the news cycle is so insane. Um, I will just, you know, cut a couple of short videos to keep up on top of things. Uh, so please check those out as well. And of course, you can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please give us a five-star rating because it really does help other people find the show. And we're really trying to grow this thing because with, with voices 
like Waj and Jen and Julie and Brian and and uh, Kurt and Adam and all these other amazing smart people. Uh, you know, I I really want more people listening. So thank you all so much for being here. We will see you Thursday. In the meantime, please stay safe and be kind.